sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, greetings in Jesus' name to everyone here this morning. We just sang this hymn, He Will Fill Your Heart Today to Overflowing with the Holy Ghost and Power. Are you expecting that? Are you praying for that? And if it doesn't happen, is it God's fault? Is it because the supply was not sufficient? No. The problem is with the vessel. Let's just settle that in our minds this morning. The problem is not with God's supply. It's, it's there. It's available. I think I'll try to write the title of my message on the board. Don't miss Christ. And what I mean by don't miss Christ is that Christ is here. Christ has been here. You have been taught, you have heard of Christ. But it is possible to still miss him, even when you have heard. And so that's the burden of my message this morning. It will be touching on, I believe, foundational issues in our experience and life, but I hope it's not too fragmented. We're going to look at a handful of scriptures, uh, but the, the thrust of the message is, don't miss Christ. You know, as we went uh, to Israel recently and returned from there, I saw Christ everywhere. Knowing the scriptures, going from place to place, areas where Christ lived, I saw Christ everywhere, in figuratively speaking. 
There are signs at various places that tell you this is where Christ was, or this is where the disciples lived, or those types of things. But the sad thing is, many people in that very area are still missing Christ. They do not know the Savior of Israel, the Savior of mankind. And we know that it is possible to see Christ and to meet him here. We're half a world removed from Israel, but Christ is here. And we don't have to travel to Israel to see Christ. But just as it's possible for them, with all that history and all the reality of this is where it happened, they can still miss Christ. And so it is true for us today. We can sit here, we can hear, and we can still miss it. Sobering, but it is a reality we need to reckon with. I'd like for you to turn for our first passage to Luke chapter 13 and verse 22. Luke 13, verse 22, And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and hath shut to the door... And ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. He shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and ye yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. 
Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me, until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now the portion that caught my attention here in particular was in verse 26, and this appears to be after the judgment when the door is shut and the door of opportunity is shut. Then shall you begin to say, we have eaten. And drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. In other words, we were there. We saw it. We heard it. But he goes on to say, I know you not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. And that's why the scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. Harden not your hearts, as in the day of provocation. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works. Now that's speaking of a time when the children of Israel would have had opportunity to turn to the Lord in their distress. But rather they murmured and complained against the Lord when he was there. He was with them. In the wilderness. He had given them promises. He gave them a leader. He gave them manna to eat. But still they murmured. They did not see Christ. At that time, they hardened their hearts, it says. And in one place it says, in their hearts they turned back to Egypt. And again, it's possible for us to sit here today and for some in their hearts to turn back to the world from whence they came. It's possible to hear Christ preached and still miss him. It's not enough to just sit in a church where the preaching is good and expect that that'll that'll avail There has to be personal application. And I know that we know that. We have said it many times. I am persuaded that you know that. And I'm just reminding you that it is so important and vital for us to have a true connection with Christ. To be abiding in that vine. And not to let it slip away. When we have such opportunity today to be filled to full and overflowing because Christ is here. I read this longer portion because the context here tells us a bit of Christ's thinking. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee. These are people that came in the name of the Lord. And they taught. They taught the people. They preached Christ. The prophets 
spoke of him that was to come, and they were stoned. Because they didn't want to hear. Now Christ wept over Jerusalem because they did not see the things that belonged to their peace. They did not recognize that the one who was promised to come was there. And as we were at Jerusalem and observing some of the things and some of it we heard on the news reports, even though we were there, uh, some of the things that happened a day or two before and so on, we didn't necessarily witness directly. But one thing that struck me as we were trying to make plans to go to visit the Temple Mount, which is the spot where the temple used to stand. Today it has uh, several shrines to uh, Islam and their god that they worship. And on their holy day, which is Friday, since the Muslims control the Temple Mount or or have been, Israel actually has ultimate control, but it's they're allowed to control what happens in the Temple Mount. And on Friday, only Muslims are allowed to be on the Temple Mount. So we had to kind of plan our visit there around that because Friday was off limits. You weren't allowed to go there. But what struck me is that this was the very place where Christ came. The temple was there. He went into the temple. We saw the area where it is believed that the merchants had gathered, known as Solomon's Porch, where Christ would have come and driven out the, the uh, sellers and the money changers and all of that. And Christ said that his house would be a house of prayer for all nations. And when you see the conflict and tension between the different races and beliefs and that one will not allow the other to come near on a certain day when it was Christ's heart that it would be a house of prayer for all nations. That includes us. Even though we're many generations and many miles distant, we have been invited to come to the house of prayer. And it's no longer just at Jerusalem that we worship, but we worship in spirit and in truth. And it can happen here. Praise the Lord, it can happen here. But it's also possible to miss Christ. I'd like to turn to some other warnings that Jesus gave back a few chapters in chapter 10. chapter 10, verse 13. He says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! 
For if the mighty works I'm sorry, I get emotional. If the mighty works which had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. Now, the context here was that Jesus had sent out his disciples, and they went out, 70 of them, it says. He sent them out two by two into all the cities and towns where he would go. And he was, he was giving them these instructions, but he gave this solemn warning. Now, let's turn back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12. Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtalim that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So here was just a a very simple statement that Jesus left Nazareth, which is where he had grown up. That was his hometown. And we visited Nazareth, and we also visited Capernaum. Capernaum is now just ruins at the location where it is believed that the town of Capernaum was. And there are ruins there where uh, the 
synagogue has been somewhat rebuilt a bit. There are uh, stones there where it appears was the house of Peter in, in Capernaum. And here we have the account that Jesus left Nazareth. That is now a city. Nazareth is no longer just a little village. It is a large city with other cities surrounding it. But he came from there and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast. And that's where it's found today on the coast of Galilee. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet, saying that in this region the people which sat in darkness saw a great light. So they saw a great light, but did they all see it? No. Some of them missed Christ. And Jesus went so far as to say of Capernaum, he said, you've been exalted to heaven. How was Capernaum exalted to heaven? It's because God came there. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. And God came in the flesh and dwelt in Capernaum. That's why they were exalted to heaven. But Jesus made it clear there are some who were going to miss it. And so you can go there today and you see people. Many tourists come through there. Just like we did. You can go to all these places in Israel where Jesus once was. And it's a lot like here. The people go about their business. They buy and sell. They plant and harvest. They build. They get married. We witnessed a wedding going on on uh, Mount of Olives. Your life goes on. Everything's, everything's just life. It's daily life. And some people miss Christ. So in that sense, it's really no different than it is for us today here. We sit here. We hear about Christ. But it's possible that some miss Christ. As Jesus warned that in the day of judgment when the door is shut and you begin to stand without and say, Lord, didn't you teach in our streets? Didn't we hear you? And he shall begin to say, I I don't know you from whence ye are. So even though I can go there and visit those places and I see Christ, 
every, almost every turn of the road. Are we seeing Christ today? Are we finding that fullness, the fullness of the Spirit that we sang about? Where the Spirit of God is flowing out of us and we're filled to overflowing. God's supply is not limited. It's not because Christ isn't here. And it's not because we're such earthen vessels. Because he chooses earthen vessels to fill. And he says that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. But it does require that we allow ourselves to be purged and cleansed. Vessels that are clean. Vessels that are waiting for the fullness of the Lord. And we can come, even in a Sunday morning, and we can meet Christ, and we can be filled. Let's go back to where we started there in Luke chapter 13. Now, there are a few more things that are said here. When he began to say these things in verse 24 there in Luke 13, he said, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. The word strive is an action word. It means to press into. It means to labor diligently or even to agonize. It means to to press in with with earnest effort. Okay, so to be filled with the Spirit of God to overflowing is going to require some pressing in with some earnestness. It says to enter in at the straight gate. And that word straight means very narrow. It's pressing in. The uh, Some of the saints back in the time of the Anabaptists, the Reformation time we would call it, where they were persecuted unto death. They would talk about this pressing in at the straight gate and even speaking of leaving your flesh on the doorposts. For them, it was a matter of laying down their life many times. But you press in. You don't miss it. You press in with all that you have that you might enter into the kingdom. Strive to enter in. 
And we can truly say that today is an easy time to enter into the kingdom. Maybe it's so easy that we would actually miss it. We're not persecuted as many saints of old were. We don't necessarily fear that police will come in and disturb our meeting and arrest some and cast some into prison. There are places where that is a real legitimate concern. Is it so easy that we forget about the striving part and the earnestness with which we must enter in at the straight gate? He says then in verse 28, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Very sobering. And again reminds us that it's not your lineage, it's not your standing in society. And it's not even whether Christ came to live in your town. Because he did. He made the way open for all of us. All of us who sit here today. We don't have to visit Capernaum. We don't have to visit the Temple Mount. The Father is seeking all those who would worship in spirit and in truth and inviting them to be a part of his kingdom. It was quite evident in our visit there in Jerusalem that there are various sects and those that have a very rigid way of life And there's a lot of animosity between the various sects. But it would seem that in all of that strife, they're somehow missing Christ. Because it was Christ's desire that there be a house of prayer for all nations. Every nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. He goes on to say, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. And I don't understand all of the meaning of that. But in the context, it would seem like he may be referring to opportunity. It would seem like those who should have been first in line actually ended up last. And those who seem perhaps to have the least opportunity, have actually pressed in and make it into the kingdom. And then he goes on where they 
We're warning him about Herod. And he goes on to tell them that there is, uh, it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. And I don't, uh, I don't understand all of that statement, uh, but I do know that Jesus knew what his time was. He knew when it was his time, and he knew that nothing would happen before its time. He said that repeatedly to the disciples. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, ye shall not see me until the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, we were privileged to be there on Palm Sunday where tens of thousands of people gathered together to do the walk from Bethphage over the Mount of Olives and up into the old city of Jerusalem. And it was a, a, bit, uh, a bit unique and that this was through some narrow streets, and so these tens of thousands of people formed a, a, a line that was probably more than a mile long. It would have been perhaps two kilometers, a mile and a half. And most of that was filled just with a throng of people. But just like it was in Christ's day, or even in our day, you know, these people all gathered in the name of the Lord. They're all saying, Hallelujah, Hosanna. They came to honor the Lord. And I can only trust that many and most were sincere about it. But we don't really know. And we heard many languages. We heard many tongues from, and many nations represented there as people gathered. But it's probably true that in that multitude there were some who were there in name only, that didn't know Christ. Uh, but undoubtedly many did. Uh, we, we don't know necessarily where, where each individual stood. But it was rather impressive to to just consider that all of them are gathered in the name of the Lord. And the time is coming when Christ will come back again. And people, an innumerable multitude of every tribe and tongue and nation, will sing praise unto the Lord. Are we going to be in that number? You know, today is the day that we enter in. If we haven't, or, it's the day we renew our commitment, or the day that we begin anew to press into the kingdom. 
While it is called today, harden not your heart. And I've been oft repeated in the last months of that hymn we sing, My soul beyond thy guard, ten thousand foes arise. The hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. So the the host or the uh, foe that is pressing in on you today may be different from the one who's sitting in the next pew. Oh, there's many similarities, yes, but there are many foes. There is simply hardness of heart that refuses to accept Christ. There is hardness of heart that creeps in after having accepted Christ and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches begin to choke out that life. There are times when the word is received with joy and it springs up and there's nice lush growth and then it's found to be in stony ground. And when persecution arises and the way gets hard and we say, "Ah, it's too hard. I didn't sign up for this. This is too much. This is not fair. And because there's not depth of earth, it withers away. And then there's that good ground which has received the word, it soaks in and grows and it springs forth and some 30-fold, some 60-fold and some 100-fold. And that's where Christ is asking us to dwell. Abide in me and I in you. That's being in that good soil. That's bringing forth fruit unto life eternal. And we heard so beautifully in the opening message just some very practical things about what it means to be in the kingdom, what it means to be in Christ, and the importance of being in Christ, the importance of relationships, the importance of living a life that is patterned after Christ. I'd like to turn yet in closing to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. In verse 7, Hebrews 6, 7, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. That's pretty sobering words. What it tells me simply, if we try to just put it down in very practical terms, is that 
As it is with the ground that brings forth plants, some of it good fruit and some of it briars, is very much like us as people. We can even sit in the presence of Christ. We can dwell where Christ dwells. We can be in church and hear the word preached. It comes like rain. And one person will receive it and bear pleasant herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed and is receiving blessing from God and the person seated right beside and hears the same word and receives the same abundant supply that is available and yet does not avail themselves of it and end up bringing forth briars and thorns. And so is it God's fault? The answer is no. He's simply pointing out that it's it's our choice. Then he says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Yes, I am persuaded better things of you. And perhaps this message came out maybe more in a heavy way than I would have wished it to. But it is heavy things. It is serious things. And we should not trifle with the word of God, nor with our responsibility to press into the kingdom. But nevertheless, I don't want to leave you in heaviness, nor leaving you feel like you're all missing it, because that is not my point at all. It was not the writer here of Hebrews, even though he pointed out this very, very sobering thing, that there are some, though they receive the same word, the same rain that comes down, some receive the blessing, and some bear thorns and briars that's rejected. But he says, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now that's what I would like to exhort all of you. God is not unrighteous to forget your work, your labor of love, And perhaps you have recognized as I was preaching this morning that there is a great need for earnestness in your life. Or that one of these foes out of the 10,000 that arise have been getting the mastery over you. Today is the day to change that. And say, God is not unrighteous to forget your work, your labor of love, 
We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. How sad it is for the people of Capernaum, where the God of heaven came and dwelt there, and yet they missed him. It's really sad. But yet, according to the scriptures, it still happens today. Even where Christ is preached, the people who sat in darkness saw a great light. The word is preached. It's given freely. It's like the rain that comes down from heaven. And what kind of soil does it find? We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Amen. I'll leave you with that.